What do I define about growing up? You know what I'm saying? Like feeling better, living better, better location. What he failed to tell you was when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. I, he left that out, so I'm reclaiming my time. Please, you respond. Are you kidding me? Who are you rooting for tonight? I'm rooting for um everybody black. Betting on black tonight. I'm sorry for the realness. Hey everybody, it's Whitney from WhitneyDanielle.com and this is another episode of Network and Spill. On this episode, we're doing a hashtag how did we meet segment. I've got my first male guest on Network and Spill actually, which is kind of crazy, I think. I'm pretty sure he's the first. God, now I kind of hope he's the first because I don't even, I'm pretty sure you're the first male guest, which is really exciting because I don't know. I just think it's fun. We're going to mix it up. We're going to talk about how we met. Um, Gary actually lives in San Diego. So um, not only am I jealous in this moment, but um, I'm really looking forward to digging deeper into his story because, you know, we've known each other for a while, but I don't know a ton about him. I just know that he's awesome and we kind of chit chat here and there. So um, yeah, Gary, thank you. Welcome to the show. Hello, Whitney. Thank you for inviting me. And I think that's amazing that I am the first male guest. So, so hopefully I can uh, bring just as much value um, as all of your other guests and, um, you know, just not disappoint. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt that will happen. Um, so, okay. So I want everybody to know what it is that you do. Yeah. So I wear a lot of hats. I call myself... I guess a coach, I guess you can say a coach. One of the things that I enjoy doing is helping people level up various skills, whether it's confidence, whether it's communication, creativity. And I do it in a very special way because I use uh, what I like to call transformational play as a tool to help people get the results that they're looking for. And I think that's so cool because when we met, okay, so we have to talk about how we met because <laughs> I, I'm trying to, I know we met through mutual friends mm-hmm. um, and I, I hung out with Stephanie who, Stephanie Liu, by the way, L-I-U, you definitely need to follow her if you're not following her. Um, she is into marketing, I guess. And um, she has a lot of things too. She has a lot of video and, and whatnot. She's an entrepreneur. I met up with Stephanie, I think through another friend and I met her at the U Club in San Diego downtown. It's a co-working space, super fancy. And I'm trying to figure out if there was an event that they had and I met you there. You know what? That, and I was thinking about that too. I was like, where did we meet? Because it was, it was like one of those things where I like, I felt like we'd just been friends forever. I'm like trying to go back to the origin story and I knew it had to do with Stephanie. And when I think about it, yes, there were lots of times at the U club. So I don't know if it was uh, because you and I both know Stephanie is a social butterfly. So if she's, you know, if if you met her, she wants to know all about you. And then she loves connecting people. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was at the university club. And did you go to social VidCon? Yeah, I did. So maybe it was at social VidCon where we really started to get to know each other because yeah. that's the first like memory that I remember 
which was at the U club anyway. So, all right. It's, I, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. I think, I think that's what it was. We maybe have to consult with Stephanie and just like confirm, but I think so. And I think we might've even met virtually first. Like maybe we connected on mm-hmm. like on something that way. I, I can't remember, but the VidCon was a cool event and there were a lot of, you know, local San Diego, when I was living in San Diego, a lot of local folks who were entrepreneurs and in, in, in the space doing social media and yeah, it could have definitely been from there. And that was a pretty interactive event. Yeah, exactly. And I, and did you go to the, the happy hour after the event? I did. Yeah, so I think that's where we really got to know each other. So it was Social VidCon. And then we went, I forgot where it was, but like, yeah, I remember you were at the table. Uh, Stephanie was there. And then, uh, of course, Amanda was there. And I think we were just like gabbing about just everything. And yeah. It, yeah. It was just, it, yeah, it was fun. It was beautiful. We were on a rooftop that was at, um, the, I think it was in the top of the Andes hotel. Yep. yep. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah. I will never forget that. The sun, I mean, the views from that place, I've only been maybe a handful of times, but it's just stunning. <sighs> yes. Out there. Okay. So we remember collectively, kind of. <laughs> collectively. We're going to go with that. We're going to go with that. But yeah, it, it does. It feels like we've known each other for a while. And I think, you know, it, it's funny because I think it's, it's good to say this here that sometimes you meet people and they're not people that you would typically just like run into or meet. Like if I met you at Target, um, I'd be like, oh, hey, and we'd chit chat or, you know, Starbucks or something. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's crazy how when you have mutual friends, how that really is the glue that sort of will um, keep you together with people. And um, even though sometimes you don't always keep in contact with other folks within that circle, um, the relationship still can flourish and, and bloom, even though you typically wouldn't have met that person in another space because I was not a member of U Club and I was a new entrepreneur kind of just getting out there and um, we wouldn't have run into each other probably in any other circumstance. So I don't think uh, so. You're absolutely yeah. correct. <laughs> and at the time, were you doing more on the career side, like helping people uh, in, like in your coaching and whatnot? I wasn't, I was on the life. So it was like lifestyle coach. That's what it was. That's what it was. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Now that's coming back because I remember there was some sort of, cause that's what Stephanie's really good at of like, Oh, you do this. Oh, you need to meet my friend who does this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we were talking about. You were starting your business and there was just your approach to like the lifestyle stuff was really intriguing. Oh, and thanks. yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it's all it, coming it, back. It is. And it's interesting how you look back, right? And you're able to say, wow, that's where I was then. And, <laughs> and like how I've gotten to where I am now. And, you know, it's, it's cool too, because I remember you coming out as a, when I met you, you were doing a lot of events where you were getting people out of their comfort zone and mm-hmm. you were doing a lot of that work. And I think that is super, super cool. Um, I've only met one other person. I think I told you this. I only met one other person who did something similar where they were going into workspaces and getting people to think outside the box and getting them to do things that got their minds going and, and in a playful mode. And I had only ever heard of that like one time and it was only in California. So I'm like, man, this is so interesting that people are taking this concept of like having fun, doing things that you would do when you were a kid. I think you didn't, you do it. You did a demonstration at VidCon. Where you like yes. made us do stuff. Oh, I remember that. Yes. See, it's all coming back. And that, that was um, like one of the things where I, you know, was starting to tap into like, Oh, what if I do this? What if I do this? What if I do this? And I remember all of the times where I've had 
very deep relationships with people, especially people that I didn't know. It all came from not like the traditional networking of like, oh, hi, I'm Gary. I do this, blah, blah. It was all through some sort of immersive experience. And through that immersive experience, we got to know each other on a deeper level. We got to have fun. We got outside of our comfort zone. And yeah, naturally, you're going to talk about what do you do for business, that and the other. But you get that like, know, and trust thing out of the way. Then when you actually talk about work and you talk about business, it's not, it doesn't come across as, oh, this person is just trying to scam me and, and uh, you know, sell me something. Absolutely. You skip all of that and you go right into the, the core of a, a relationship, which I absolutely agree with. And I will say, you know, it's, it's funny because I am not, I'm not as, I'm definitely outgoing, but I'm not as extroverted as I think people think I am. And so when it comes to doing what you kind of had us doing, you had us like in a group, we were all standing up and we had to play a bunch of different games. I get very kind of shy and I, I get quiet and everyone's always like, Whitney, what's going on? And that's just, I don't know why, but I'm always a little nervous and a little shy going into stuff like that. And so it's good to be around people who, um, who do that, right? Who bring out the best in you, who get you going, who get you excited, who make you kind of laugh or smile when you're in those sort of awkward or difficult, because those moments are going to be difficult and awkward for certain people more so than others. When you're put on the spot, um, that's one thing, but it's so good to get out of your comfort zone, which is really something that you help people with. So how did you get into that part of it? Yeah, it all started when I took an improv class. Because I, my, you know, my main thing was, all right, I'm finished with school. I am doing this career thing. And I feel, I feel like, um, you know, I was doing all the right things. And I was at a point in my career where I was burning myself all the time, burning myself out all the time. Uh, the candle was burning at both ends. I was one of the youngest, um, youngest uh, directors at this digital marketing agency. And I think it was the sort of, am I good enough for this? And so I worked even harder, which, you know, great. It got me to where I wanted to go and, you know, kept me hungry for more. But there was a point where I was asking myself, I'm like, is this it? (laughs) And then um, fortunate for me, I didn't like Toastmasters because I wanted to get better at public speaking because of I was doing a lot of presentations at the time. I was being asked to speak on behalf of the company and I knew I needed to level up in that area. And then a mentor of mine told me, hey, Gary, why don't you take an improv class? And in that moment, I was like, improv class? Um, I don't think I'm funny. Uh, you know, I'm not a Kevin Hart or anything like that. Um, and I didn't know all the benefits of improv. But you know, when you have someone that you know, that you really admire and trust and they say do something and especially if it's something that you wouldn't normally do and it's outside your comfort zone, you do it. So I took this improv class and for two hours, we played these silly games um, that reminded me of what it was like at school, back in elementary school when we were doing recess. And during that time period, I didn't think of anything. Uh, Like I didn't think of my to-do list. I didn't think of the fact that I had... um, like over a thousand unread emails, like all that stuff that uh, we stress out about. I was completely present. I was connecting with people that I didn't even know. And something magical happened during that two-hour time period. Um, Like I just left feeling 
elated. I, I felt refreshed. And then the next week was like the best week ever. And I was hooked. I was hooked on this improv thing. And then I started realizing, I was like, there might be something here. Um, again, I didn't know all the stuff that I knew now about the science behind all this and how it can help in so many other ways. I just thought this was rad and I wanted to share it with as many people as possible. So I started bringing this to my, to my team and we started playing these silly improv games. And sure enough, we started connecting deeper and we started having a better relationship. Um, and then I was like, wow, this is really cool. And so that was like the start of it. Interesting. And so the first thing that, I mean, that comes up for me is yeah, when the, the, the power, the science behind it, like you were saying. So when you're doing something like this, is it just that you're being vulnerable? Is it that you're, you're being on like the same playing field as somebody else and it's not, you know, somebody else's ego versus, cause I feel like that happens a lot in the mm -hmm. workplace. So if you do that with a group of your colleagues or coworkers, or maybe even, you know, your fellow students in school, like how does, what is the little dynamic there that, that happens? Yeah. Uh, so you bring up a really good point. Uh, when you do something like that, uh, what you do, like, especially at work, and this is the beauty of this because I feel like, there was an old way of doing work um, and in the business that I'm in, we like to call that the industrial revolution um, where the intention was you have a job, you come and do it. You have to do it to this very specific specification. And if you want to get promoted, you need to work your butt off um, and essentially, you know, forget everyone else. Um, you know, and it's like, crabs in a bucket, you know, everyone's just trying to climb up the ladder and, and they don't really give it, give a damn about, excuse me, are we allowed to cuss? I'll keep absolutely. you. Absolutely. No, okay. absolutely. Cool. <laughs> uh, they, you know, they don't give a damn about the other person just because of the environment that they're set in. And so it's almost like we have two personalities. We have our work personality and then we have our home personality. And uh, someone that I admire, Brene Brown, um, she says, if, you know, everyone wants to truly belong, you know, they want to have this feeling of profound, uh, profound belonging. Um, however, if you are trying to fit in, you will never feel like you belong. And so in a work environment, because we're wearing these masks, we're not really connecting. And so the beauty of these games is it allows you to be vulnerable. And when you're playing a game, if you think about any game that you're playing, the rules of the game supersedes everything. And then when you allow yourself to play, you get so wrapped up in the game that you, like, for some reason, don't care that you're just acting silly. Um, and so the magic that's happening there is that you're creating what is called a peak emotional experience. And when someone has a peak emotional experience, they, um, you know, their unconscious mind is remembering everything in vivid detail that is happening. Who are you with? Where are you at? And so if you think about any, and this happens on a positive and ne negative scale. So if you're having um, a positive experience, think about any time that you had such an amazing positive experience. Maybe it was a vacation. Uh, maybe it was just, you know, an event with friends. You just, uh, what happens is you have an, a positive association with everything around that. So bring that into the workspace. And until recently, you know, play at work was seen as, no, that's a waste of time. But when you have this immersive experience, you're going to start to trust the people that you're with because think about it, you're acting silly, you're being vulnerable, and they don't make fun of you afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, so you're naturally going to be like, oh, I guess I trust them. Mm -hmm. Like, this is 
on an unconscious level. And then you're going to start to see that trust start to, um, start to increase. And in businesses and environments, you know, this day and age, it's very complex. There is no right or wrong way to do things. It's not like we work in factories for crying out loud. And so you need, you need to be creative and you need to be innovative and you need to think outside the box. You need to take risks. But if you don't trust the people that you're around, you're really not going to really take risks. You're going to take safe risks. And that's not necessarily going to get you the results that you're looking for. And so these games that I found at first by accident um, helped us create what is called positive um, uh, psychological safety. And when you have psychological safety, you feel comfortable making mistakes. Um, you don't have that feeling of shame. You know that, oh, I make a mistake. You know, I'm going to learn from that. And they're not going to ridicule me, make fun of me. And you feel comfortable speaking up, speaking your mind to people that you work with. So it's, it's something that's very profound that the whole element of play, um, you know, there are a lot of negative connotations to that. Uh, but in my opinion, I feel like play is just as important as breathing in some cases. Yeah. And I love Brene Brown as well. And I think, you know, you can't, I spent a lot of time, you know, growing up where I moved every five minutes. And so I had to constantly build a new set of friends and a new trust circle, so to speak. And it takes time and it's daunting and it can be tiring and frustrating. And the best feeling is when you know that you've dropped the ball, you know, you did mm -hmm. something, maybe you wore a weird outfit or, you know, you said something funny that, you know, cause I lived in Texas and they say stuff in Texas that they don't necessarily say in DC and in DC that they don't say in other, you know, and so you say something or your slang is off or, you know, you make a weird joke and, you wonder who's going to hold space for you and who's not going to condemn yeah. you for it. And that's where I absolutely agree that you cannot feel like you're part of the group or you belong if you're constantly trying to fit in or prove yourself. So yeah, I've always loved this idea of play and it, it never really occurred to me, especially as somebody, which is kind of crazy, who worked in, you know, some of the most boring places in the country. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've worked for cool companies, don't get me wrong. But like <laughs> the the scenery sometimes can just suck the soul out of your yes. out of your life. Some of the top companies have buildings that were built in, you know, like the seventies, and you walk in and you're like, dude. If things are falling apart, it's like everything's gray. Um, the wall is peeling. The elevators don't work. I mean, it's 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 so depressing. And some of these office spaces, and people go there every day. Luckily for me, I only went there for meetings and stuff like that. But spending prolonged periods of time in a place that doesn't bring you joy has got to suck, especially when you're with people who you don't necessarily. Um, vibe or, or bond with on a deeper level. If you're doing that code switching thing where you're somebody else at work, which I think a lot of people do. And so I would love yep. to see what you're doing hit people a little bit harder where there are people now who feel like they don't necessarily have to. And that maybe code switching is extreme, but because <laughs> people are still going to code switch because it's cultural. Yep. But when it comes to just being comfortable at work and feeling like you fit in, I think that <sighs> dynamic is it's powerful. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I want to address some, something that you, know, that you talked about earlier. And it's the whole point about the environment. Um, because the environment can make or break your experience. You could be doing something, you know, you can have a job or a, a company or organization that does something very, 
how do I put this? It's just boring. And, you know, it's like, why would someone do this job? And you're right. If the environment is not conducive to creativity, to feeling like you belong, it's going to seem like it is a soul sucking job. And conversely, you could have an amazing job, like outwardly facing. And again, you know, if the environment is not set up correct, you may still like feel like it's, um, you know, sucking your soul away. Uh, yeah. So have you uh, read Michelle Obama's um, new book, Becoming? I have it. I have it on, I think I have it on Audible, but I haven't started it yet. Got it. Um, it is amazing. Yeah, it is super amazing. But to the point that I'm going to make right here, she talked about how she went to Princeton. She got this Ivy League education. Uh, then she went to Yale to get her law degree. And she found herself at, I think it was about like 26. And outwardly facing, she had, like, it, it made sense. Like she had all, she did all the checkbox, but yet she wasn't feeling fulfilled. And so again, it goes back to, um, you know, what I was talking about, the environment, um, making sure that there is alignment in what you're doing um, to like what your bigger purpose is. So you could be doing something so remedial as, for example, uh, being a ticket taker at a movie theater. Uh, I met this old guy. His name is RB. It's just R and B. <laughs> That's his name. Old black guy. This guy. Oh my God. This guy is like so cool. Like a really cool old guy. He's like, like the old sort of jazz, uh, you know, jazz player guys. That's like him. And he just took tickets. Uh, and I asked him, I said, you know, Arby, do you love your job? And he just like, yeah, I love my job. I love people. I love being around people. This is a job, you know, I could do this all day, every day. And it's just one of those things. There's an alignment. It's a, it's an environment that's allowing him to be creative and he loves his job. And so the main thing that I'm getting at here is how can we create an environment that maybe it's not necessarily the best job, um, you know, maybe you're a janitor or something like that, but you, you know, how can we align it with some of your bigger purposes so that, yes, the job still has to get done, but how can you do it so that you're not killing yourself? That's important. And I agree because I've said this too, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of the things that I've always aspired to have is, and I don't know where this came from, probably from just being in different hotels and traveling a lot, is being somewhere that inspires me. So when I wake up in the morning, I have something to look at that is, you know, breathtaking or at least just beautiful, where it kind of just, it takes you somewhere and it inspires you to do more. It inspires you of what the world is full of, the possibilities, like all kinds of positive things happen. And for, I think for everybody that may be something different, but I think we can all agree that there are some pretty amazing and beautiful places where if you, even if it's just like a really cool tree or a backyard with like yes. horses or like a vineyard, like that doesn't really matter. I'm not super picky, but I, I will say that mm -hmm. that became part of my, my search and looking for an apartment and looking for a place to lay my head and to build my business. Because if we're working from home, there's no way most of the time, there's no way that I want to wake up every morning and look at the side of a building or a parking yeah. garage, right? And it, it makes a difference. And you could say that it doesn't, but I'm going to call bullshit. You could make your room as beautiful and, and put all these pictures and get all the little succulents and like 
girl boss mugs and whatever you've got. <laughs> and it, it's not, not going to be the same. Like you need to have, for me, I feel like you need to have that. And I did read something that said, when you change your environment, when you change your scenery, it evokes, is it evokes, emotes, whatever. It brings out um, creativity in you that you may not have had in the previous place, the place that you've been for you know, an extended period of time. So I will say that for me, that became huge. I'm not sure when, but it became a big part of my apartment hunt. It became a big part of just me being somewhere and like living there. I want it to be somewhere that's beautiful. It makes a difference and whether you're paying attention or not, like I still feel like it makes a difference. Unconsciously you're paying attention because the unconscious mind is picking up everything, mm-hmm. everything, you know, that you in your surroundings, it's, it's picking up on that. And, you know, that brings me to a really great sort of little pro tip. Um, a lot of the people that I work with um, because you know, they care so much about the things that they do and they really want to make a difference and they're hustling and, and busting their ass. Um, and sometimes they get in that rut, that creativity rut, where they just can't seem to, um, you know, produce at the level that they were. And um, someone that I really admire, um, her name is Allison Fallon. Uh, she's an author and she teaches people how to really share their story. And she once said something to me that, there's no such thing as writer's block. Um, and, you know, if you're listening, you're, you're probably trying to call bullshit on that. You're like, no, you don't get it. And, and to a point, she's right in that she says, you can always, like, anyone can write. The problem is the reason why it's not flowing through you is that you have a life block. And one of the easiest ways to unblock that is to change up your environment. Um, I like to play a game with people. I, I call it um, a tourist in your own town. And I said, um, go through your town, but put on the lens as if you were a tourist and try to see things different and try to spot things that you didn't even know exist. And even if it's, um, um, you know, an area that you probably lived in for the last like 10, 13 years, I bet you, you can spot something that you didn't notice before, because the way that the brain works is that. When you are in something, an area that you've seen over and over and over again, you don't really see it. Your brain is running off of a map that um, it created for you like a long time ago. And then um, the reason why the brain does that is trying to conserve energy. So, you know, it's not going to necessarily spot things because it's not, you haven't told it that's important. So the moment you turn on that that little switch and say, Oh, I want to notice things I didn't see before. I want to change things up. Your brain starts activating again. And then you start getting those um, neurochemicals like dopamine and and norepinephrine, those things that are going to give you creativity and focus. And so that you're absolutely right. Um, You know, if you're feeling like you're in a rut, change up your environment. Um, And if you can't necessarily, you know, get out and about, switch up your room, switch up your office space, you know, bring something new that's going to evoke an emotion and, and bring out that sense of creativity in you. That's powerful. And it works. I mean, it, it works. That's why, you know, I think Agreed. it's good to, to even plan that. You can plan that in for somebody who is writing or for somebody who does something where you've got to kind of be creative and get out of your, your brain sometimes. Um, I think planning stuff like that is good. So planning that 
trip somewhere, planning a night somewhere else, planning to do something random or going on Groupon and just buying random Groupons to do cool activities. I mean, these are things that can definitely spark inspiration and spark creativity and spark ideas that you may not, you know, have thought of if you were doing kind of the same thing over and over. So for me, you know, redundancy and and repetition is, is a fear of mine. I do crave consistency because that's something that I didn't always have, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I still like that sense of the unknowing. So speaking of, you know, me growing up all over the place, did you grow up in California? I like to say I'm more San Diegan than most San Diegans. I was born in Kansas City, Missouri. My dad was in the Navy. So when I was four, uh, we moved to Hawaii. And then we stayed there for a year and then we ended up getting to San Diego. And that's where my dad got out of the Navy and we've been there ever since. So I would like to think most of my memories as a child is in San Diego. And it's one of those things where I resented uh, my parents um, at first uh, moving us all the way to San Diego because in Kansas City, Missouri, that's where my cousins are. um, And all the stuff that I, that I knew was there. And, but now like looking back, I was like, well, that, you know, that's awesome. You know, that they did that because again, going back to the thing, the environment, my parents really wanted me and my sisters to have a really good education and they did everything in their power to put us around people that were going to help us, um, you know, have the best opportunities because they, weren't necessarily afforded that growing up. And so they wanted, you know, something better for their kids. And so I remember, I have a very fond memory um, of when I was in first grade, my mom uh, found out that they weren't really teaching us how to read. We were um, using picture books and she took me out of that school and I got bused to a, and this is in San Diego. um, And if you're familiar with San Diego, this was City Heights um, back in the early or mid eighties, I guess you can say. And it wasn't as uh, gentrified and and hipster as it is now. Uh, It was, it was kind of rough. And my mom had me bust out to Tierra Sena. If you're familiar with that area, it's, you know, North a little bit, uh, but to a nicer school um, just because she wanted me to have the best education possible. I love that. And being a Navy kid or a military kid, it's, you know, you never know where you're going to end up and what that's going to be like. And you could easily just get pulled out of school and shipped off somewhere else. And you don't know, and you don't have any control. And really all you can do is just kind of go with the flows. I don't think I knew that you were a military kid. I did not know. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Cause I, I didn't have the like military brat experience like a lot of kids because um, by the time I was in school, my dad was pretty much done. <laughs> uh, he was done. He was, my dad went into the Navy as I need to do something with my life sort of situation. Not necessarily. I want a career. And so that I think he was like an opportunistic. He's like, Oh, I'm in San Diego. Oh, I'm up for renewal. I'm going to get out of the Navy. That's not for me. So we, it's interesting though. I did change schools every year up into fourth grade. Uh, but that was just because uh, we moved mm. in San Diego. Uh, but my dad was out of the Navy by then. So, yes, um, it, I don't really have much, um, you know, 
experience with that just because my dad, um, you know, by the time I was like in school, he was pretty much done with it. And yeah, but yeah. this is the interesting thing is that my dad, he wasn't necessarily a good fit for the structure of the Navy. Uh, but he just did it because he was like, all right, you know, I, I got to take responsibility. Navy is what it is. And then he ended up getting a job as a civilian working with the government afterwards and has since done that. And I think that was a better fit for him because there's less rigid structure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. So my dad joined the year that I was born. So I was born and then I was born, I think in January and he, he, I think he enlisted or went in the same year, I think. Um, and that we moved later on that year. Uh, to Alaska. So even though I was born in Massachusetts, I was there like five minutes. And I think the same year, the same calendar year, we moved to Alaska. And then we were there for three years. And I had another sister born there. And then we moved to, um, I think it was New York next. And I had another sister born there. And then that Air Force Base actually completely closed down. So, um, and then we moved to Texas. And so we lived off base and on base in both um, actually all those places. So it was, it's just crazy. And I had another sister born in Texas. Um, so it's just been, yeah. it's been crazy. It's been crazy. And so the, the journey of a military kid, you know, or just a kid in general can be difficult, especially when you're being jerked around and moved and stuff. So you have to build resistance or resilience yes. to all of that. You cannot be resistant to a new, a new set of whatever, right? It could be a new set of friends. It could be a new set of teachers. It could be a new set of next door neighbors. Um, everything changes. And again, that kind of attests to what I've been saying is that I really do appreciate that. Now, when I was little, I was like, man, this sucks. At first I didn't understand what was happening, but then as I got older, I was like, yeah, no, I have these friends. I have this life. I don't want to do this. Um, but I will say that I'm glad that it happened because now I'm more, accepting of, of that, the change factor. So, um, mm -hmm. I know you recently had, um, a new member of your family brought into life and yes. um, definitely I saw you guys walking. Um, how old is he now? Is he two? He'll be two next month. Two. Okay. So he's about to coming up on two. So I know, um, Stephanie's baby is turning four in March. Yes. Right. And oh my God, she's so cute too. And we have another entrepreneur. Do you know Melody? Yep. Yeah, and her baby. She has a baby, yep. Yeah, I don't think she's one just Not yet. yet. <laughs> but I think she's eight, eight, I think she's eight months now. I think. Yeah, I she's getting up there. Yeah, she's getting close. So it's like everyone has, you know, new life that they're bringing into the world and, and sharing things with. And it's so interesting to see how all the kids are growing up. But I'm definitely curious on how you want or how you plan on teaching your son just some of the values that you grew up with and in, in, in being in San Diego with you know, it's kind of multicultural, I guess, but like, how does that factor in for you too? Um, I, I love it. I, I really love, I feel like we're in a bubble. <laughs> Let me just be honest. We're, we're in this bubble that um, it's, there is a lot of culture. Um, and I love that, um, you know, I'm meeting so many different types of people. Um, and it's, it's definitely, help me just become the person who I am. Uh, cause one thing I want to mention, you know, before, before I talk about like being a dad and whatnot, um, was the fact that yes, when I was a kid and we had to move around a lot, I, I didn't like it because I had to make new friends. And, you know, as a kid, you know, your friends, that's, 
you know, that's everything. That's, that's your tribe. And I didn't realize that being put in that env- environment um, and being made more resilient because of that, that's like one of my superpowers. I know I can go into an, an environment um, where I am new. And I, I like to say I'm more of an ambivert. Like, I, you know, I have most people, especially if you see me on stage, you would think, oh, Gary is very extroverted. Um, I have those tendencies, but I still need to recharge. Um, but I can go into an environment and I can, and I can just sort of, uh, I like to say sometimes I can become a very social chameleon of like, all right, cool. All right. How do I need to, how do I need to show up in this environment? Because these are the outcomes that I want to have. And you had to do that when you change schools um, as often, you know, as, as I did. Um, and so um, being in San Diego and, and being a new dad, I think one of the, the main things that, you know, I'm focusing on now, and it's interesting because it's like, once you have a baby, like there's something in your brain that just, you know, turns on and activates. And I haven't, like, I'm seeing things in a whole nother light that I've never seen before of, you know, me and my wife are having conversations like, all right, well, Garrett's two, um, you know, what sort of environment do we want him to grow up in? You know, and, and I love that we're in San Diego because there's such a diverse population here. There is. And it's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Tax. It is. And, and I think, you know, that'll be, it'll be cool to see for sure. And you'll learn a lot. And I think it's fun watching, you know, even my friends who have kids do it because, you know, you're learning, you're watching them. And then the, it's just, it's so much fun. It's, I've, I've read somewhere that it's like you relearn so many things when you're teaching someone else. You relearn that. And I'm like, wow, that's such a cool notion of just the fact that you are when someone asks you, well, why is it that way? Or yeah, I know he's not at that stage yet, but it will come and it will be annoying and it'll be <laughs> pleasant. But you'll think about it. And you're like, I'm like, damn, actually, you know what? I, I don't know how bubbles are made. That's actually a right. really good question. You know, and now we have like YouTube and things where you can actually go, whereas before you just kind of had to make shit up and just kind of go with it. But exactly. I think it I think it's cool that you do get to relearn that because it's not just about some of those questions. It's also, you know, teaching kindness and teaching respect and boundaries and how to use your words. I mean, these are all things that many of us struggle with to this day, right? We're in our 30s, we're in our 40s, when we're in our 20s, we've gone to school, we've got our educations and our jobs, and we're still struggling with a lot of the fundamentals. And it really does go back to, you know, your childhood and and how you were raised and how you took that and applied it in your environment and just, you know, how you were nurtured, all of that stuff. Um, I think it's super interesting and it's, it's so much fun to watch. So, I do want to shift and talk a little bit more about some of the work that you're doing, because I know that um, for me, I find it fascinating just because like I've, I've hated working (laughs) in like super stale, just square environments. I don't like living in them either, but um, that's typically not the case anymore. It's more so the working part. So, you know, what is it that you're working on that you're excited about right now? Yeah. One of the, um, the things that really light me up is getting to help people just change like and level up um, because going to school, I was really good at school as it pertains to uh, a lot of extracurricular type stuff. Uh, like I was in band and I played sports and, and I was like that class clown, but I didn't necessarily think that I was good at the, you know, the, the learning part, the academics. And 
when I started learning about like how play can be that tool to help people learn faster, uh, retain information longer, and more importantly, you know, connect and, and become more creative. I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, and now I think back to when I was in school, the topics that I did the best in were things that were more experiential, that were immersive, that used all of your senses, you know, more than just, you know, listening and regurgitating information. And so what I am, uh, that I love that I'm doing now is, um, and I think this is just me like putting my entrepreneur hat on, realizing that, um, you know, going to companies and say, you guys need to play more um, and, and getting like rejected where they're like, nope, we do you know what kind of environment we're in now? We need to, we do not need to play. Uh, and that's just their point of view. And then I was talking about improv and how improv is great. And it's some people, you know, are scared of that. So I pivoted um, and I still do the same stuff, but I, now I say, well, what sort of training needs do you have as an organization? And are you open to, you know, a different way of, of thinking about that? And so that's been amazing being able to go into these organizations and help people with all kinds of different topics. And now we're dealing with diversity. Now we're dealing with um, leadership. Now we're dealing with all of these other topics, but it's through games. And as I said earlier, when you are playing a game, the rules of the game supersedes everything. And so now you're able to have a different perspective. Now, a leader that tends to be a micromanager that is essentially, um, you know, making people feel inferior and whatnot, and they have no idea that that's an issue, is able to realize that on their own and in a safe environment where now we can develop strategies on how we can shift that rather than if they were to been approached like, hey, I think you're a little bit controlling or a micromanager. Now they're going to get defensive and it's not going to be conducive to um, the outcome that we want. So that is super exciting. And then the other thing is while I was doing all this, I was getting approached by a lot of people saying, um, you know, Gary, do you do individual uh, coaching? And I, you know, said, no, not really. Um, and I'm, you know, happy to say, yes, now I do. And I focus primarily on people that are exceptionally well at what they do. And they're coming to the realization that they need to develop some additional soft skills that are going to help them get to that next level. Because you know the quote, you know, what got you to the place where you are now is not necessarily going to get you to the next place. So I am excited that I am helping to develop uh, people that are going to be exceptional leaders, whether it be entrepreneurship or within organizations. And I call it the way of the playful leader, um, you know, using new ways of, of leading rather than the old dictatorship. So that's what I'm excited about right now. I love it. And that is exciting because you, <laughs> there's so many, so many, so many cool things that are going to happen when I think more people realize the importance of this. And I, it, it does suck in my opinion that so many people are kind of either apprehensive or they're not open to learning how this is it's it's like you know the health epidemic you know there's so many people who are against you know just the notion of eating more vegetables and you know right. drinking a green smoothie every now and again or taking some damn vitamins and <laughs> it really does affect people's lives and it's like dude you could be making your entire company 
so much better. And it's the same thing happens in technology, right? When, yep. when there's a new update or when there's a new thing, right? It could be anything. It could be, you know, if it's not, typically it's the software, right? It's not like people are cool with buying printers and scanners as needed. But even that sometimes I think people don't want to look into the, the positives and the perks and the benefits of having something better that works better than what they've had, what they've been doing, even though what they've been doing has seemingly gotten them this far in totally good shape, there are other options out there. And I, I really do hope that with this new sort of um, shift of, of people and millennials and, and just the youth that we, we incorporate this more because it shouldn't be so faux pas. It shouldn't be, you know, something that seems distracting or, you know what I mean? Like, yes. That, that to me is what my hope is and that we, we see that more because I really do believe that it will be powerful. Just like, um, you know, you see all these influencers now. It blows my mind. My sister was showing me like all this fashion. She's been trying to get more into like dressing nicer and doing more yes. with her clothes and how all of these women, um, and I'm sure there are guys too, but how all these women are making money doing these like closet, um, these uh, fitting room little like fashion shows. Yeah. They just like put clothes on in the fitting room and they record themselves and do like a little, so you see, and it's like the loft and it's just clothes from the loft and how influencers are changing the way that these companies are interacting with their customers and how people will go and watch some chick t try on these clothes and will buy the whole damn outfit because it looked cute on the chick in the video. And I'm like, it's blowing my mind, right? We went from like having those little weird um, pamphlets come in the mail randomly, mm -hmm. right? Every week and to like online to now this. And so we have to shift, I think, as a culture and as a workforce to something that's going to work better. And I am 100%. Yes. You've, you've also put some things in my head too, because now I'm like, well, damn, now I want to make sure whenever I go somewhere and I'm working in a group that I create a space that is open and that gets people to feel comfortable and to, because I'm an ambivert as well. I definitely do not claim being an extrovert because I'm not the party animal. I'm not the girl who's going to get, get up and start twerking. I'm, I'm just not that person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there has to be, for me, there's a, there's a bit of a balance, but I, I will say that makes me want to do that. It makes me want to push harder to make sure that the, the groups that I'm in or that I'm working with are open and, and inclusive, but also not just physically, but like mentally and performance wise. Yeah. Because then you get the best out of people. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where, again, we have more information and that, you know, that backs this up before it was like, Oh, you know, this was the recipe for success. And maybe that worked at one point, but people, their needs are changing. Um, and, but some of the, interesting things about this, though it seems new, it is tied into how, um, how we are wired as a species. We are a very, uh, we are a species that thrives community, that thrives connection. And if someone tr knows, likes, and trusts you, they will do anything. And, and so like, again, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, but if you are someone that wants to be a person of impact, that wants to be a person of influence, wouldn't you do everything in your power to, um, you know, make sure that the people feel comfortable? Because before, 
so the, I feel like the thing that is really changing now is that we have choice. Before we didn't have choice. There was only a few options. And so when there's very few options, you just did what is told. Like, oh, this is the only way to do it. All right, I'm going with this. Whether you liked it or not, if that was your only option, you did what it is. And so before, like we had like a hammer. Now we have a Swiss army knife. And so because people have choice and they, vo- they vote with their dollars, they vote with their feet, they, you know, they vote with their choice and their, you know, all this other stuff, we need to be more responsible. And, and the people that feel like they belong are going to be the ones that stick with you the longest. And so if you want to quickly develop that, especially as someone that's an entrepreneur or a leader, anytime you have an interaction with someone, if you can create that bonding moment, it's boom, like that, like it's, it's, you're going to be a person of influence. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I'm all about that. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm with you. I agree 100%. And I'm also looking for, so I know you read Becoming and I am definitely going to read that. That may actually be what I read after this new Toni Morrison book, but um, I just got finished reading a book called Can't Hurt Me. And that was by David, David Goggins, who is um, a retired Navy SEAL. And, or is he retired? I actually don't know if he's retired. I thought he was retired. Anyway, he was, he was a Navy SEAL. And his story, you have to read this book, first of all. I've talked about this on the show a couple times now. And I finished it like a week ago. It is by far one of the best books I have read in a long, long time. Like transformative. It was one of those books that like you read and then you take a turn. <laughs> like you just, you just pivot. Um, and what I will say is the military, I think kind of has a lot of his experience in the military where, you know, they, they get vulnerable because they're on their mentally, they, they get to a point where they've reached their end because they're pushing their body sometimes physically as well to the, the point of like, OMG, Yep. <laughs> hearing them go through like all of their trainings and just some of the crazy shit that they make them do. Um, you know, that's where they create those bonds. The, when they go through their basic training, um, in his instance, he was doing a Navy SEALs training. Um, you know, when they go through that, they're pushing themselves to the limit mentally and physically. And so they get to that point with their um, colleagues and their fellow trainees and they push themselves. And the groups that, because um, the, the guy, David, he was in this one group, they like grouped them up with different boats and his, I think his was book boat number two. And there were a bunch of guys and these guys had to carry, I guess, a boat on their heads. They had mm-hmm. to carry it yep. for like multiple times. It was part of their like workout routine punishment thing they were doing. Yep. And his group, I don't think anybody from his group um, tapped out or gave up um, because he led the group and he pushed them and he, you know, got on their level. He wasn't, he talked a lot about leadership. So if you are someone who's looking to learn more about leadership and like all of that, definitely check out his book because he learns a a number of valuable lessons about being a leader. And he talks about it when he was pushy and aggressive and he was doing the most people went away. Like they were just like, screw it. We don't want to work out with you. We don't want to hang out with you. We don't want to be associated with you. Like peace out. But when he didn't ostracize the weakest link when he didn't, you know, get too cocky when he didn't let other people get too cocky. That's when he was able to create a team that stayed. And when they do these trainings, they start with like 200 people or something. And they end with like 49 because people just drop like flies during these trainings. Um, but I think in this group, cause he did that training like three times. Cause like the first time he like got pneumonia and he had to tap out cause he got too sick and broke his legs. And then the second time something else happened, it was really fucked up. And then Finally, he went back and then he was able to 
to go through it. But um, it was really cool to see that, how his leadership skills stood out and like helped his group get through. So it doesn't really matter whether you're an entrepreneur or, you know, maybe you're in the, in the military or it doesn't matter what you're doing, what your line of industry um, may be. I think the leadership skills um, and the stuff that you're talking about definitely can be used in pretty much everything, I feel. Yeah, no, I agree. And one thing I want to point out, um, and, I, and I'm definitely going to put that uh, top of my list now because I have this thing where if more than two people have recommended a book for me, um, it must, it, it needs my attention. And so in the last two weeks, you were the third person that mentioned it. So I'm like, got to read this book, but I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> it took me only a few days. I know you're up. You could even read it to your son at night. There's some, there's some cursing, but you can skip over it. The book is insane. It's insane. And I would love to talk to you about it when you're done reading it. Yes. because um, <laughs> It was just, it's too good. I had my dad read it. He read it in like five days while he was on travel and he loves it. And it really talks about, you know, just mindset and all of the yeah. stuff that we've kind of, you know, talked about in different ways. Um, and he was also in San Diego, by the way, because he did his training in, uh, in yep. Cali. And so he spent quite a bit of time there. So anyway, um, definitely check that out. Is there any other books that you're reading right now that you want to like recommend? Um, yes. Um, what's on the top of my list? Um, so, uh, oh, uh, the book Belong, uh, by Radha, um, Agrawal. Uh, she is the person that, uh, created Daybreaker, which is the morning dance party that I, that I go to. Mm -hmm. Um, and the whole thing about belong is all about, you know, finding your people and creating a community, mm -hmm. um, with intention. And she makes a really great point about, um, you know, when we're in school and when we're at work, a lot of the relationships that we cultivate are by proximity. Right. You know, these are the people you go to school with, so they become your friends. But as you get older, your, your likes change, your needs change. And, you know, I have this belief that we're the average of the five people we surround ourselves with. But if we just accept the relationships that we have because of proximity and it doesn't align, and if, especially if it doesn't align with the type of person that we want to become, then, you know, you're stuck at the mercy of that. And so she has a really great process um, for, and, and it's funny because we, we've, we do this for everything else. We do this for the job that we want. And we do this for like romantic relationships, but we don't do this for our sort of casual friendships and whatnot. And it's a really great um, eye-opening read. Um, highly recommend it. And then the other book that I've finished that I've been recommending to everyone, um, and it's called The Third Door. And it was written by a guy by the name of Alex uh, Benayan. And it's a great story about his journey, his, his quest to learn from the most successful people uh, about how they launched their careers. And so he was at a point, uh, he was going to USC, I believe. And then he just sort of one day was like, what am I doing? You know, and again, he had a lot of social pressure from family of, you know what, you need to get a good job, you know, this, that, and the other, because, you know, we, weren't afforded that, you know, because, you know, we came to the U S and, and, you know, we did that for, for you. And so he felt a lot of pressure to, to go into a direction, um, you know, that he wasn't necessarily excited about. Mm 
very similar to, you know, Michelle Obama. Um, and then he, you know, wanted to like learn from some of his mentors. And so there's some great wisdom from people like Quincy Jones from Maya Angelou and there that he ended up getting um, a chance to um, interview. But more importantly, it's like the story behind the story, the story of how he was able to do that and, and his stumblings along the way and, and how he learned not to be an asshole and how he learned to not um, bombard people too much and all these other things. And, you know, him dealing with uh, the loss of his father because of cancer and, and how he developed these amazing relationships with people. Um, and if you do happen to read that book um, and have the ability to listen to the audiobook, I highly recommend it. He's an amazing storyteller. Um, he does a great job with it. Um, and I got choked up on a few parts. Like I don't usually, that doesn't usually happen to me. And I'm sitting, it's so funny because I'm sitting in uh, my car listening to this before I had to teach an improv class. And I was early. So I was like, you know what, let me just listen to it. And it got to one of those parts. And like, I'm literally like, like about to cry and like my eyes are watering up and then I have to walk into my class right afterwards. So it's a really great, really great uh, book. That's awesome. I mean, not the crying part, but sometimes it does that to you. You know, yeah. it gets, I was reading uh, Can't Hurt Me and there was that moment towards um, almost the end. Um, and I was like, wow, it was just a wow moment. Like, I can't mm -hmm. believe this is, you know, his life took all these turns and this is, this is so cool. Um, and I had a moment like that when I read the book. It's just, it's awesome when that happens um, because it really means that the story was touching and you're right. Mm -hmm. If somebody's a good storyteller, then hell yeah. Um, I actually prefer to listen to a lot of books on audio because um, a lot of times you get more, is it inflections or you just get more for me? I get more and Ditto. I like that. And the only reason why I haven't listened to Becoming is because I haven't been in the car. And that's typically mm -hmm. when I'm listening to my audiobooks. I don't like them on the plane so much, but when I'm driving, hell yeah. And I haven't been, I have, the weather has been, you know, I'm on the East Coast now. So we had snow last week. And when it snows, Whitney doesn't go anywhere. Um, so I haven't been in the car, um, but it, it is on my list. Um, so I have... One more question. And by the way, guys, I'm going to put all of these books in the show notes. So in the event that you want to um, check them out, which I absolutely, uh, obviously you've heard Becoming is one of the best books of what, like all of 2018, I think. Right. So, I mean, come on, that's obvious, but um, the Can't Hurt Me book, you got to read it. And then the books that you mentioned, Belong. And what was the second one? Um, and The Third Door. The third door. Definitely. I will put all those in the show notes so you guys can easily just click them and check them out. Um, if you read any of them, ping us and let us know what you thought. Um, so the, the last question I have before like the closing stuff is, can you tell me about a time where networking completely changed your life? Uh, I would have to say it was, so I went to school in Los Angeles. I went to the art Institute in Santa Monica and that's where I met my wife and we decided to move back to San Diego. And I was at, um, so yeah, I got a job. I'm working as a webmaster <laughs> for a data storage company. And I, you know, didn't really have a lot of uh, acquaintances like in the sort of industry type stuff. I had some people that I known that I used to go to school with, um, but you know, I, you know, being someone that is growing in, you know, the world of uh, digital marketing, I wanted to meet some people that had some similar interests. And I went 
I joined this local organization in San Diego called Add to San Diego, uh, which is affiliated with the um, AAF, which is the American Advertising Federation. And it's the young, uh, young group of that. So like the under 30, uh, under 30 or 32 crowd. And I was at an event. And again, what ended up happening was we just got to know each other. You know, it's like a happy hour and we're doing some stuff. And, and it was just like, I got to know these people. And naturally, like I said earlier, the topic of work came up. And like, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, yeah, I do, um, you know, marketing, digital marketing for this uh, data storage company. Like, oh, no way. What's the name of the company? And they, you know, I said it was Overland Storage. And, and then they said, oh, my gosh, no way. Um, one of our clients is NetApp. Uh, NetApp is one of the largest, like, uh, data storage companies in, in the world and and um, a competitor of the company I used to work for. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that company, you know. And I was, again, casually talking about how, um, you know, yeah, I, I've been keeping an eye on what you guys are doing in the digital marketing space. And I and they saw what I was doing. And they were surprised that just one person was doing all of this. And yes, I had some people helping me, um, but we were crushing them in the digital marketing space and we had a fraction of the budget. And so um, what ended up happening afterwards, I got a call from the recruiter uh, of Cavario, the, the company, and was like, hey, we want you to uh, you know, come work for us. Um, and it was one of those things because I made this relationship. And again, it was they knew, like, and trust me. And then it so happened they were looking for someone to, um, you know, to join the team that they reached out to me. They recommended me. And I like to say I leapfrogged anyone else that was applying. One, I didn't even know the opportunity was there uh, in the first place. Um, and, you know, two, they reached out to me like there was no like sort of submitting resumes and stuff like that. To be honest, I don't even know if they even looked at my resume. It was just one of those things. I met with a recruiter and within two weeks, there was an offer letter. Um, and that was a pivotal moment for me because that changed the tra trajectory of everything, which led me to all the stuff that I'm doing today. Um, you know, I met Stephanie Liu um, at Cavario. Um, and we developed our relationship and I feel like that is my MO because I'm all about, and I, I think I, why I resonated with improv so much because improv is all about uh, one of the rules of improv. The principles that we play by is make your partner look amazing. And another one is, uh, we before me. So I find myself in situations where I'm just developing relationships and come to find afterwards Someone's like, did you know you were talking to the CEO of this company? I was like, I had no idea. I was just chatting up with this person. We were having a great time. And again, naturally, you'll get a chance to talk about what you're doing and stuff like that. So that was a time that networking changed my whole life. Wow. That is super cool. I did not know that. I love it. And yeah, I think you're right. The The power of networking and, and letting the conversation naturally flow. I think sometimes we just, I mean, but you weren't looking for it. And that's kind of the thing, right? They always say, oh, and when you're not looking for it, it just comes. And you, we all right. roll our eyes. But then at the end of the day, that's typically how it works. You know, I realize sometimes there is a 
a motive or some something that's pushing you to make a move and you need to connect, but letting the conversations naturally flow, um, you can always benefit from doing that because you don't know where it will lead. But definitely call, going into the conversation calmly, I think is the, the valuable lesson that I'm taking for people for that part yeah. is going into the conversation calmly, not making it all about you, letting it flow, and then putting out what it is that you're doing and being being yourself, being authentic and being honest. And then that will build, like you said, the no like and trust factor. And then they'll, if they feel like you're in, they're interested, then they'll, because they don't have to offer you anything, right? They don't have they to don't. give you their information. They don't have to do anything. If they talk to you and like, wow, this guy is like a complete shit show. Then they could easily just be like, oh my God, it was so nice to meet you, Gary. <laughs> right? I'm going to go to the wine bar now. Thanks. And then turn around and you never talk to them again. But if they like you, they're going to forego the wine bar for a little bit longer and, and get to know you more. So um, I love that. All right. All right, guys, we are coming up on time. Um, I do want you all to follow Gary and his crazy awesome adventures. He's always on the go. I'm just glad I got him on the show before, before because I've been, we, I've been waiting a long time to do this. It's been so cool talking to you about what we're up to and just catching up here and there, but I'm glad that I got you on the show and this is going to go live. Um, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, if you want to connect, um, I'm all over the place. Uh, you, if you want to hang out on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. Just look for Gary Ware. I'm happy to connect with you. Uh, I'm on Instagram under Gary Ware, um, Twitter, Gary Ware. You can go to my website, breakthroughplay.com. Uh, um, you know, there you can have lots of resources and I'm going to be coming up with a, a podcast um, here in the next couple of months or so. And so definitely going to have to get Whitney on there and we can, uh, reciprocate. Uh, I think that's a word. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much where you can find me if you, if you found this valuable and you want to continue to connect. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is just, I mean, guys, you got to follow him to see what he's all about. There's so much that he does and that he's doing. So definitely follow Gary on the gram um, and on Facebook and wherever you're, you're typically on social media. <laughs> Because you won't be disappointed, believe me. All right, guys. Well, that's the episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to tell your friends about Network and Spill. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and you can tune in pretty much everywhere at this point. Um, and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can talk about anything you want, say something nice or say something funny and um, connect with us on social media. You know, I am Whitney Danielle Coaching and also Network and Spill on the gram. You can find me on Facebook and Pinterest and everywhere else, Twitter too. So we thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Gary, for being with us today. Thank you, Whitney, for having me. This has been amazing. I'm glad we got a chance to finally sit down and talk i know me too thank you guys so much for tuning in we'll see you next time cheers